Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, you ready? We're going to jump into the word. Jump into the word. We're in the book of Ezekiel. Three weeks in Ezekiel. Here's the third week. Are you ready? It's Ezekiel chapter 47, 1 to 12. Going to read that together. Pull it open. I don't have it all on the screen, so I've only got a portion of it on the screen. So if you got your Bibles, you can turn to it. If you got it, if you got your, uh, if you got your. Uh, year-round Bibles you can turn. I think it's this week. It's uh, September 6th or something like that. So you can check it out. Are you ready? Ezekiel 47, 1 to 12. In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple. Now, how many think if you saw a stream flowing from beneath the door, that would be a problem? We had a, a toilet issue this week that was, there was a stream flowing from beneath the toilet and we had to get a plumber to come. But anyway, this was not a concern. There was a stream flowing from beneath the door. It says from the temple passing. It says the stream was flowing. It flowed outside beneath the door, outside the wall, through the north gateway, and it led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out through the south side and the east gateway. Measuring as we went, he took me along the stream, 1,750 feet, and then he led me across. The water was up to my ankles. He measured another 1,750, 1,750 feet, and he led me across again. This time the water was to my knees. After that, another 1,750 feet, and it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet, and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but it was too deep to walk through. Verse 6, he asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, it surprised. I was surprised by the sight of the many trees that were growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, the river flows eastward through the desert to the valley of the Red Sea. The waters of the stream will make these salty waters abound in the Dead Sea. It will make it fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things. Whatever the water and wherever the river flows, fish will abound in the Dead Sea and its water will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever the water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea and all the way to the En Gedi and the Ang Eglim. It says the shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea just as they fill the Mediterranean. But the marshes and the swamps will, be, will not be purified, but they will be left so that they'll be salty. Fruit trees of every kind will grow along the sides of the river. The leaves of those trees will never turn brown and fail. And there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be food for the leaves, for healing, healing for the nations. So here's Ezekiel having all these visions. We talked about Ezekiel. He began, he was taken captive probably in the second captivity and there he was on the banks of a river and there on the river Shabar he saw the glory of God come and he's like, what's the glory of God? It's supposed to be in Jerusalem. Why is it here in Babylon? What's the glory of God doing here? And God started to share with them that the glory of God had departed from Jerusalem but the glory of God is not going to depart from his people. 
He said he's always going to be there. So we, we saw that, and then we saw the judgments, all the things that were declared over the nations and over Jerusalem. And then, thankfully, we got to Ezekiel chapter 36, where he talked about he's going to breathe on us. He's going to bring his breath. And Zach talked last week about the breath on the dry bones. If you got a dead situation, I mean, a situation that looks so awful, there's nothing the Spirit of God can't do. And there's times you just speak to the breath because it's available to you. The Spirit of God is available to you. You can speak. You can speak the Word of God over your situation and see the blessing of God come. Revelation 22, 1 and 2. And he showed me a pure river, water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits. And each yielded fruit in its month, and the leaves of the trees were healing for the nations. Here we see a pattern. We see a pattern even in the, uh, the fulfillment of all of time. We see that there is a river. Say to your neighbor, there is a river. This isn't a vision or just an analogy. There really is. Even today, there is a river flowing from God's throne. This isn't like some picture, some analogy. Isn't that cute? There really is a river of God's power, presence, and power that flows from the throne of God. There is a river. Psalm 36, 7 and 8 says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your your delights for with you is the fountain of life and in your light we do see light you give them drink you cause them to drink you make them to drink of the river of your delight psalm 46 4 to 7 there is a river there is a river there is a river whose streams make glad the city of god if you work that out, study out the city of God, it always implies the church. It always implies the eternal purpose of God. There is a place, the city of God, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, the church of God. There is a river that flows to the city of God. It flows from the throne of God. And it is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. It's the holy habitation of the Most High God. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He he utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. There is a river. There really is a river. It's the power, presence, the, the person of the Spirit of God that is flowing and moving in our lives. And there's a river that just lifts us, animates us, and touches us. I want to show you a picture of a little city and this is the outline of it back in the uh, late 1800s, around 1850, 1860. And not a really amazing outline. But this was the town of Rodney, Mississippi. Rodney, Mississippi had expanded to about 4,000 people. It had two newspapers. It had the first opera theater in the South in Rodney, Mississippi. Pretty amazing stuff. So they had uh, five churches. They had a couple newspapers. I mean, it was a pretty happening place between St. Louis and New Orleans, right on the Mississippi River. It was the biggest town on the Mississippi River between St. Louis and New Orleans. All the ships stopped there. All the traffic, everything going downstream to, the, to New Orleans, all of it stopped there because they were right there, busy, bustling town on the river. It was right there on the river, and boy, when you're on the river, there's life on the river. Can I get an amen? amen? It was three votes away from being declared the capital of Mississippi. Jackson became the capital instead of Rodney, Mississippi. Now, give me another picture here. 
Boom. That is today the Presbyterian Church in Rodney, Mississippi, and that is almost the only structure that still stands in Rodney, Mississippi, and it is completely abandoned and barren. Nobody lives anymore in Rodney, Mississippi. It's a ghost town. It's a nice place to go take pictures, but there is absolutely nothing in Rodney. It was a town right in the river. It was a town where where life came. It was a town that was thriving. It was a town, two newspapers, an opera hall. It was a town, even in the Civil War, they fought over it. It was a place of, of, of you know, prestige. It was a place that was considered significant. And that place today is a ghost town. Something happened in 1870. In 1870, out in the Mississippi River, up above Rodney, a sandbar began to develop. And that sandbar began to reroute the river until the river was literally two or three miles from Rodney. And the river began to move and began to move and began to move. And because the river moved, nobody stopped in Rodney anymore. And because nobody stopped in Rodney anymore, the train stations, when they were built, they decided, we don't need to go to Rodney. Nobody goes to Rodney. And then suddenly everybody decided it's time to leave Rodney. And Rodney is a ghost town today because they lost the river. So, give me another slide. A sandbar caused the river to shift. If there's no river, there's no life. What are the sandbars in your life? Stop. Stop. Because you could start filling that out, and I don't want to embarrass you. What are the sandbars in your life, brother? Have you got the, has the river started to bypass you because there's unconfessed sin in your life, brother? Not you, Brian. I know. Just You got unresolved conflict. You got relationships. You got fear and doubt. Let's start to list the sandbars that are taking you away from the presence of God. Thank God, I didn't know what Cheryl was going to share at communion, but she shared that there's not a single sandbar that exists that can remove you from the river of God. But it would make good preaching, wouldn't it? I could start right there, and I could start to hammer you with no river, no life. And if you don't have the river, you know what? It's your fault. You know that little conflict you have with a sister-in-law you haven't been able to resolve? You know who I'm talking to. God has moved far from your life because of that bitterness in your soul. I could start filling in the blanks there and I could have a whole bunch of people at the altar weeping and snot-faced. And I want the river back. I don't want God to be mad at me. You know, we do a lot of that stuff. There is a river, but I love what Pastor Cheryl was saying. Even you can't get yourself out of the river. Even you can't build a sandbar that will keep the forceful, violent flow of the river of God flowing to your life. You could do it in your head. And you could say, well, I disagree with the pastor. I already filled in all four of those, and I think they are so. And I'm going to walk out of here separated from God. I don't care what he says. Well, that would be stupid. Stupid is in the Bible. Nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. You know, the river God is his life, his power, his forth, and nothing can get you out of it. And he doesn't want you to be, I want you to come, brothers, don't be ankle deep in the river, hallelujah. Some, some believers are ankle deep believers, glory to God, you know, and they stand there so they can still be in control of their life. And then some people, they go knee deep and, ooh, they can feel the force, but they can hang on. Some people go waist deep, but I'm still hanging on. But you got to go all the way. I tell you, the river's so forceful that if you try to go ankle deep, it'll rip you in. 
You can't be partially in. You didn't put yourself in and you can't take yourself out. God has planted you in him and you're there. And the force of the river is always going to work in your life. And if you do have any of those issues in your life, you know what the river is going to do? The river and the force of the river is going to cleanse every issue out of you that hinders the full revelation of God's goodness in your life. That's the good news. But it's easy to preach that stuff. And you'll hear all kinds of sermons about that because people, preachers approach the word of God trying to figure out their goal is they start by saying, how can I get people to the altar? Ooh, here's a good way. Ooh. But you know, it says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But sadly, there's lots of condemnation in the pulpits. And we think that the goal of the preacher is to try to make you miserable and then we want to get you to repent, sinner. You Okay. Let me give you another slide. The sandbar is any religious lie that separates you from God's love. What did I say? Form love? Oh. <laughs> Sorry, you can change that in your minds. Flip it right there. The sandbar is any religious lie that separates you from God's love. I love that Cheryl said nothing could separate you. Nothing. I mean, you can be separated. It says they were enemies in their mind. You can, be, you can be separated in your thinking. You can be separated from all kinds of bad religious teaching. You can be separated from all of this performance stuff that, you know, like you got to perform to get God's favor in your life. You know, you know why we perform? Because we got God's favor. You know why I forgive? Because I got God's forgiveness. You know why I love? Because I got God's love. You know why there's power in my life? Because I got God's power in my life. I don't have it because I did something to qualify it. I have it because it's the gift. It's the full package of my relationship and my intimate abiding in the river of God. I could even make a religious slip right there. As long as you abide, brother. And we always slip into those things. There's always that God is really good and you'll never experience anything but the goodness of God. But. And but is just a big, massive announcement. Get ready to hear some religion. There's a lot of butts happening right now. There's butts all over the room. But, 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 but. Take every butt captive right now and subject it right now. The river that flows to your created clean and new heart and new spirit is so powerful, it cannot be resisted by you or anything else. See, last week, Zach talked about the fact that here is the sad news of Ezekiel. You are so broken and so busted that God is, is moving out. The glory of God is leaving town. You think the glory of God is on a place or on a, you know, you're in Jerusalem. God rests there. He really doesn't. God was there, but he had to be in a box because he couldn't really live with those people completely. He had to stay in a little box. But there, God said, you know what? I can go wherever I want to go. But, you know, God's heart is always towards his people. So here was after all those judgments and all those things, suddenly there was some good news. And we're going to read that good news. Are you ready? Here it is. Ezekiel 36, 25 and 27. Then, I mean, after he said all of this nasty stuff, he says, you know what? I'm going to come back and we're going to turn. I'm going to fulfill my good pleasure, my good word concerning you. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Who sprinkled clean water on you? God did. Who cleansed you? God did. You will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. Why? Because God invaded your situation with his goodness and his grace. It wasn't, it wasn't you got rid of your idols and then God came. God came and he did it. He removed all the nonsense from your life. You will no longer worship idols and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. Another slide. 
I will take out the stony, stubborn heart. See, they had a stony, stubborn heart. They couldn't even help themselves. I mean, remember when we read the end of Deuteronomy? He gives you all those laws, all those things, says follow hard after God. And then he finishes Deuteronomy by saying, after saying all of that, you're never going to make it. You're all doomed to destruction. And yet we keep on preaching the law, hoping to get a different result. The power of sin is the law, rule-keeping, you know, fill in the blank. Let's remove sandbar number one, remove sandbar number two, remove sandbar number three. Just fulfill those conditions, and God will come to your life. And sadly, that's so much of what gets taught in the church today. I will do it. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and you will be careful to obey my regulations. So he does a miracle of giving me a willing, obedient posture and heart, and that miracle places me in him. And then he doesn't just do that. After he says that, he moves on from the dry bones and he comes to a revelation of the river. He says, not only am I going to do that, but there's going to be a river in you, a forceful river that's going to cause all of these things to be manifest in your life. Not by your strength, not by your might, not by your power, but by me and my power alone, says the Lord. Yet we preach a lot of might and strength sermons. If you'd smarten up, you could have more of God. You know, it's because we get a clear, full revelation of what God has already done. That's why things manifest in our lives. Wow, I don't know what happened, Brian. It's Labor Day. They're all on strike. Can't get an amen anywhere. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. You know how needy I am. Can you give me another slide? Philippians 1.6. I am certain. I love that Pastor Cheryl focused on, I am assured. I am certain. I'm absolutely clear on this. And I am certain that God, who began a good work in you, who will continue it? He began the good work, so now you smarten up and you get involved. No, he says he's going to continue his work. And how long is he going to continue the work? Until it is finally finished on the day that Jesus Christ returns. So he began it. He's going to stay with it. He's going to finish it. I'm certain. <laughs> I'm certain of this. I am absolutely certain of this. Romans 8.38. This is where Pastor Cheryl spoke out of a communion. Listen. And she said, I am convinced. Are you convinced? I'm convinced you should have put things in those four blanks. I'm convinced that you should have given us homework. I'm convinced that you should have sent us home with 10 things that we could do better to be useful to God. <laughs> See, but people are, are so used to that. Like, pastor, I came to church, give me my list, and I'll just go try to be better. Oh, I'm going to do better this week. But, but there's people who preach that, and they'll say to you that my life is powerful, and my life is so awesome because I did this, this, and this. So if you do this, this, and this, you could be like me. And then we, we take things that are not doctrinal, but out of somebody's experience, and just because they think, I got special because of my performance, then we try to perform like them, and it doesn't work. And then we set people up on this treadmill of performance, and people get disappointed and frustrated. Why don't I have power in my life like that person? I did all the things they told me to do. You don't have power because you did stuff. You have power because he did stuff. And then you act on faith and you simply believe and you walk in the fullness of that because God's amazing. You know, the worst behavioral church in the whole Bible was the church in Corinth. The most amazing church operating in the gifts of miracles and prophecy and all, the most powerful church in the gifts 
was the Corinthian church, the most carnal, disappointing church, the most powerful church in the use of the, in the, use of the spiritual things. There's clearly no correlation to you somehow living a special life and the power of God flowing through you. You know, when God wants to heal somebody, he wants to heal somebody, and he'll even use you, even if you're a messed up, you know, goofball. Did I say goofball? I said, any goofballs here say amen. Amen. Let all the goofballs. That's what I love about Peter. I study Peter. I go, he used Peter. Praise Jesus. I mean, a few days after Peter said, I don't know him. I don't want anything to do with him. Bleep and bleep and bleep. A few days later, he's like, Peter, come here. I want to use you. What? I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Are you convinced of that? Well, the river went away from Rodney. And the river stopped flowing through Rodney. Therefore, Rodney died. Well, it's true. The river brings life. But let me tell you this. The river will never leave you. Amen. You never have to fear that you might become like Rodney. You never have to fear that you might become a spiritual ghost town. Because God will never, ever relax his grip on you. Wow, settle down. Please. Let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews 15, 5b. Do you know what 5b means? It means the end of the verse. Unless I have C, then it means the very, very end of the verse. And if I have D, that's just really, really the end of the verse. All right. But this is B. Look what it says. I will not. This is the Lord speaking. He says, I will not in any way. And it's from the Amplified Bible. So let me say it louder. I will not in any way fail you, nor give up on you, nor leave you without support. Now listen to this. You ready? I will not. I will not. I will not. That is the original translation. So many other translations take it out, but it's in there three times. You know, and if I want to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, it's because I want to emphasize something. And here the writer, I mean, God wants to represent to you that I will not. I will not. I will not. I will not in any degree. Not even in a degree. Not just a little, little bit. No, not a degree. Not just sometimes you get a little upset with me and you just a little bit, you get a little bit offside. There's just a little bit less love. No! Like a small fraction. Like sometimes you're like not 100% in love with me. No! I am one gazillion percent hot for you all the time. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, forsake you, or let you down. Relax my hold on you. No! Assuredly Not! Not. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. Hallelujah. All right. Listen to this now. This is important. Turn to your neighbor and say important. Turn to your other neighbor and say you're my second choice. Okay. Mankind had a birth problem and God had a new birth solution. Mankind had a birth problem. They didn't have a behavior problem. They had a birth problem, and God had a birth solution. I mean, talking to one of the most trained religious leaders of the day, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, I call that passage Nick at night. And he came to Nicodemus at night, and he spoke to this very learned theologian and teacher, and he said to him, he said, don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be better in your behavior. You must obey all the law. You must get close sir to God 
No, here's what it said. You, you don't have a distance problem. You got a birth problem. Said, you don't, don't be surprised, Nicodemus, when I say to you, you must be born again. Marvel not, and do not be surprised and astonished at my telling you that you must be born anew, and you must be born from above. This is not something where you do it. This is an activity of God, where God himself, there's a new creation reality that happens in your life, and it's God himself that makes you a new creation. Like he said in Ezekiel, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take out the stony heart. You, your DNA was messed up, and I'm going to recycle. I'm going to restore. I'm going to bless. I'm going to create something brand new, and I'm going to bring you to a new place because you were broken. Marvel not from the Amplified. Marvel not. Do not be surprised and astonished at my telling you, you must be born anew from above. John 1, 13, the Amplified Bible again, it says, we who owe their birth neither to bloods nor to the will of the flesh, that is physical impulses, nor to the will of a man, that is to a natural father. But those who are born, they're born of God. They're born of his decision, of his nature. They are born of God. They are not born of your decision and you didn't do it, you didn't know you were lost. He found you, he restored you, he recreated in you, he did it all from beginning to end. Every bit of it. He covered it all. John chapter one, verse 13. Now listen, you are righteous by birth, not by behavior. You are righteous by birth, not by behavior. How are you? You're righteous by birth, not by behavior. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, your righteousness is not something you manifest by your choices and your conduct. Because the righteousness that you have to demand to be pleasing to God is the holiness, it is the righteousness, it is the standard of God himself. He made the bar so high that nobody could ever do it. He made the bar so high that we would be in a relationship with him, not because of our performance, but because of his love. And every one of us have a relationship with God, not because of anything that we have done, but because of faith alone in the grace of God. And that's it. And listen, some people go, yeah, well, that's just getting in. That's salvation. That's in the, no, that's everything. That, that's, that's the start, that's the middle, that's the end, that's wherever you are right now. Your righteousness right now, your standing with God right now has nothing to do with your behavior. I behave because I am the righteousness of God. I don't try to behave to get God to say, did I check the box? Did I get enough? Am I sealed? Am I stamped righteous yet? It's done. Sealed. Born anew, a new creation. Sin forever, past, present, and future. Never an issue in my life with me and God. Hello. Sin itself has consequences, but sin does not and never can because of the finished work of the cross. Past, present, and future. He's removed it from you. You can have an open relationship with God. Here's the thing. In the river, when you try to go against the river, you're saying, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go. The river's so powerful, it's going to take you with it no matter what. Even when you in the middle of that relationship with God are, are saying, I can't take it anymore, the river's still going to take you downstream. Hello? It's the revelation, it's the knowledge, it's the understanding of this that causes me to walk in the fullness of all that he has for me. It, it's not doing the stuff to get it, it's get it, therefore doing the stuff. Should you stop sinning? Absolutely. 
Every single one of you, you rotten dogs. Should you? Sure. But how am I going to get that revelation in your heart for that kind of transformation to take place? I'm going to have to take you and nail you to the goodness of God. Because the only thing that can cause you to manifest the nature of God is for you to be in a position of, I'm in a drinking relationship with the Father. Okay, let me move on. Oh, let me move on. Romans chapter 6, 17 and 18. Thank God, once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Say this teaching we have given you. Which is what? You got to be able to answer that question. What is the teaching that Paul gave them? The finished work of the cross. The good news of the gospel. Paul said, look, if anybody could be a smarty pants, I could. I mean, I was, I was a teacher of teachers. So anyone who understood the law, I did. But Paul didn't preach the law. Paul preached salvation because of the grace of God. Paul said, when I came, I claimed to know nothing except Christ crucified. And you know, that's it. That's everything. And if, if you go, okay, yeah, well, we did that. I've, I got the Christ crucified thing. If you're still trying to strain at behavior to be pleasing with God, you never really got the Christ crucified thing. If you're still struggling with sin and trying to be a law keeper and a rule keeper, you never got the cross. You never understood it. Because look what it says. It says, this standard of teaching, obeying that standard of teaching, that now you are free from your slavery to sin. You are free. You once were a slave to sin. You couldn't do anything but sin. That's why I don't know why people get mad at people who don't know Jesus. They're slaves to sin. You people need to stop sinning so God can bless our city. How stupid is that? Why don't you take them out for a coffee and then love on them? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray against them. God, those wretched people, knock them down. Smite them with your powerful hand. What a bunch of rubbish. You know what his hand is? It's your hand. It's your hand reaching out, buying a coffee, saying, I love you. No matter who you are or what you're doing. Amen. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become a sometimes possible righteous person if you try hard enough and you fill in the four blanks on the sermon about the sandbars. If you remove the sandbars from your life, now you will be a slave to righteousness. Let's get a little more quiet in here. Slave. Slave to righteousness. I can't, I, I have come so into a revelation of the teaching of the cross. I've come into such a revelation of the teaching of the new creation. I've come into such a revelation of all that God has accomplished in my life that I literally, I can't help but be righteous. Righteousness flows out of me every day. I can't even help myself anymore. I just, it's just flowing. It's not even something I do. I just wake up and go, Righteousness! Pastor, I'm a slave to righteousness. Yes. You are a slave to righteousness. How many actually believe that? Three people. Give me another slide. We're moving along. We're moving along. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by means of the personal agency of the one Holy Spirit, we were given, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all baptized into one baptism, united together into one body, and all made the drink of one Holy Spirit. Say drink. 
We're all made to drink of one Holy Spirit. Boom, boom. We're all made to drink of one Holy Spirit. John chapter 7, 37 to 39. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this, he got a little excited and he jumped the gun. What he was really talking about was he was talking about the freedom to receive the Holy Spirit that would happen after the cross. But where do we live? After the cross. So what can we do? We can come to him and drink and what will happen? Out of our bellies will flow rivers. So how do the rivers flow out of your life? By removing the sandbars. <laughs> Just turn to your neighbor, hit them. Just boom. A lot of people stuck on the sandbar theology. I love self-improvement though. I'm doing it all the time. I'm on my 17th diet, just trying really hard. I just love self-improvement. Drink. Say drink. Drink. It says, if you will come and drink, anyone who believes in me, if they will come and drink, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. See, there is a river, and the river flows to his own. And the river doesn't flow to you just to, to sit there and, 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 you know, fill the space. It flows to you to flow through you. So the righteousness that comes from God flows through you, but it's a river of God. It's a river of his life and his power. And the way you do that, it says you come to him and you drink, all right? God's will is to place everyone in Christ and have everyone in Christ flowing with the river, to have Christ flowing through everyone. So God's will is to have everyone in the river and have the river flowing through everyone. So you drink. And that was Ezekiel's revelation. What he was seeing was a vision of there's a river of the power of God that comes from his throne, and that river is literally going to cause us to walk in those new creation realities. The power to do it, the power to bring life, the power to do it all is all from him. Everything is from him. It's through him, and it's to him. Everything. Everything. So that's God's will. All right, quickly, just a couple things, just a few things that I think if you drink, these rivers will flow. Number one, if you drink, rivers of worship will flow. Because it says, if you're going to worship me, you must worship me in spirit and in truth. So you know, when, when you drink, rivers of worship are going to flow. There's a river going to flow out of your worship to God. And worship isn't just coming to church on Sunday and saying. It's everything you do in your life. It's that song in your everyday life. It'll make every aspect of your life better because you'll begin to live, you'll begin to realize, what are you doing? I'm hammering a nail. No, I'm not. I'm worshiping. God. You realize every bit of your life is demonstrating and manifesting his creation. You're God's poem and you're living and you're manifesting worship. There's rivers of witness. It says, boy, you drink. It says when you come and the spirit gets on you, it says you're going to be my witnesses. Witnessing is just a natural outworking of the righteousness of God because people see these outstanding lives and they're just like, oh my goodness. What's going on with you? And then they pull it out of you that you know what? My understanding of God's love for my life has just so ripped me wide open. It's caused me to be so free, caused me to be so real, caused me to be so authentic. And rivers of witness start to flow into your life. Here's another one. Rivers of ministry says, and these signs shall follow those who believe. Any believers here? You know, when you're drinking, ministry comes just out of that abiding relationship. Ministry does not come out of trying to do the 45, 25 wonderful things. It flows out of these signs come out of the fact that you're in the river. And there's rivers of ministry coming through your life. 
Rivers of gifting, rivers of gifting. There's a manifestation of his presence that is distributed by gifts. There's the river of gifts that flow through your life. You can prophesy, you can heal the sick, you can perform miracles, you can have words of wisdom, revelation, knowledge, you can do all of that, not because you became suddenly, bam, you finally arrived, ding, ding, verified, stamped, you can lay hands on the sick. This is something everybody does because you're in the river. If you're in a drinking relationship with God, this all happens because of that. Rivers of intercession. It says the Spirit will come alongside you. The Spirit will take you up. The Spirit will pick you up and partner with you. And when you're in the river, there's intercession. There's prayer. Number six. Number six, there's rivers of strength. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. There's power in your life right now. The Spirit of God came on you. He is a spirit of might, a spirit of power, a spirit of strength. There's rivers of fruit Look at Galatians 5, 22 to 23. All that stuff. It says, against such there is no law. This doesn't come through law. This doesn't come through observance. This is you living in the river. This is you abiding and drinking and enjoying the river of God. It says in Galatians, that love and peace and kindness and joy and faithfulness and long suffering. Right? All those beautiful things are manifest in your life, not because you're trying to do it. It's fruit of a relationship of abiding in the river of God. Oh, trying to be fruitful today. You know, if you're not fruitful, God will pick you up out of the mud and he'll make you fruitful. He's committed to you being fruitful. It's amazing. Eight, number eight. This is the last one. Rivers of revelation. When you're in the river and you're in the spirit, there's a spirit. There's a spirit of wisdom and revelation. This understanding doesn't come through head knowledge or you on a quest to get more knowledge. This is something that happens because you're drinking and abiding in the river of his delights and God himself will bring you revelation and wisdom. Even the deep, unfathomable things of God, the spirit desires to reveal to you. Boom. Got another slide right here. Problem. Here's the problem. Here's the basic problem. I love oversimplification. Don't you? I love to really bring things down to their lowest basic level. Here's the problem. You were born in sin. That's the problem. That's it. You were born with an issue. And the only way to deal with that is not through some behavior modification religious courses. The only way to change that and deal with that is a righteous, you're righteous by birth, not by behavior. And how do you stay righteous? I am convinced that he who began it will continue it and bring it to a flourishing conclusion. Sad thing about religion, they'll agree with you on the born again part. But then they'll say, but then you have to stay born again. God brought you in, but then you got to keep yourself in. So for them, the story of Noah's Ark is like this. Noah wasn't actually in the boat. He was holding onto a peg outside the boat. And he was holding on for dear life. And you know what? The boat will save you, Noah, as long as you can hold on for dear life. I got it. I got it. Ah! And that's their whole thing that, you know, as long as you hang on, you're saved. But the minute you let go, the minute you relax your grip, boom, you're gone. And that's a lot of people's gospel. And Jesus used the ark as a type of the gospel. And he said, you know what? You got in the inside. And who closed the door on them when they got in? Who closed the door? God did. Who opened it? God did. You didn't put yourself in, and you can't take yourself out. So quit living like you're holding on to the peg on the outside. For your oh, here comes another way. Hang on, honey. Oh. Here comes a trial. Oh. I had a bad day. Oh. 
You know what's going to cause you the confidence, the power, and, and just the strength to get through everything? Is the knowledge of this, that I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God. I am convinced that there's not a sandbar fashion in hell that'll make the river move from my life. Amen. Amen. All right. For he made him who was no sin to be sin for us that we might become. If we hang on and if you hold fast every day, the righteousness of God in Christ. You didn't put yourself in Christ. You can't take yourself out. He put you in. And what are you? You are the righteousness of God in Christ by birth. Done. New creation reality finished work of the cross. Give me another slide. Mankind had a birth problem, God had a, a new birth solution, John 3, 7. So do not be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. Marvel not, don't be surprised, astonished when I say you must be born from above. Come on, stand up with me. One more slide there. The whole book of Ezekiel, it ends with this. The whole book, it ends with this. And the name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there. Now, if you know anything about the covenant names of God, Jehovah Shammah, if you know Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Tzidkenu, he is my righteous, Jehovah Nisi, my banner. If you know anything about the covenant names of God, it means that it's God did it on your behalf. It's done for you and nothing can take it from you. Nothing. God is there. God is there. You know where God is? He's in you and he'll never be removed. And he wanted to have it established in the book of Ezekiel that the glory of God through the new birth reality will be established in your life and I will be there and I will remain forever and nothing will separate you from my love.